Hi, this is Esther, and you're listening to the Sometimes Always Book Club. We are reading Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. This is Chapter 5, Fearful Symmetry. seen the, the weird youtube hole you can go down with like asmr where it's like your boyfriend like arguing with you but like in a whisper tone so it's like <laughs> yeah. i'm not mad at you but you know you shouldn't be hanging out with that guy like your disappointed mom like whispering <laughs> at you like <laughs> it's like just people being mad at you but in a whisper tone so it's just like yeah i asked you to go take out the garbage right i took out the garbage no times this week i did it so many times Andrew. if i have to tell you again i swear to god i will take away <laughs> it is so funny. So anyway, chapter five. I would like to hear that uh, ASMR argument, but like where it gets heated. It's whispering, but it's so heated and just verbally abusive. Oh, I need it right now. <laughs> so fucking right stupid. into my veins. <laughs> I fucking hate it's my opinion. <laughs> it's my opinion. This is Esther. I am here with Bob. Hi. Anne. Hello. Zach. Hi, Mom. Andrew. Greetings. Katie. What's up? We're back with Chapter 5, Fearful Symmetry. This entire chapter, for anybody who doesn't know, is symmetrical. First panel and the last correspond, as well as the second and the second to last. <laughs> it's subtle in some ways, and sometimes it's just the character, and sometimes it's just the, like, the first panel is like, or one of the first panels is like a foot in a a puddle mm -hmm. and then the corresponding panel in the back is the same foot but the shoe is off and the sock is torn and it's like laying down after he's knocked out anyway sometimes it's the picture sometimes it's the colors sometimes it's the character sometimes it's just the entire page well, even even the opening picture yes yeah. so it's kind of brilliant the way that was done and when um there is a website, I forget what the address is, but I found it online, that shows the corresponding panels all next to each other all the way down to the middle, which is kind yeah, of cool. Yeah, link that in the description. I will, because it's, it's a very cool thing to look at, and it's much easier than flipping back and forth. The chapter itself shows Rorschach piecing together the information that shows that someone may be systematically getting rid of superheroes. More Black Freighter. Dan helps Lori out, Rorschach gives a glimpse into his life, and Adrian Bite becomes a target. The opening image is of an RR logo on Edgar Jacoby's building. The RR being another mirror image, which is a theme through this entire chapter. Jacoby hears a noise in the night and gets up to be attacked by Rorschach in the kitchen. You make it sound like that was his plan. He doesn't get up to be attacked. <laughs> he, gets, he gets up and then is attacked by Rorschach in the kitchen. I like how he checks the refrigerator. Yes. <laughs> His previous experience with uh, somebody bolting out of there. To... Rorschach is suspicious of the list of people who have cancer and how it disgraced Dr. Manhattan and forced him into exile. He is suspicious of Jacoby because the comedian and Dr. Manhattan were Jacoby's biggest enemies when he was Moloch. 
Rorschach torments Jacoby to try and get a confession, but Jacoby is adamant that he is not involved. So basically what we're seeing in this chapter is Rorschach torturing an old man who is retired and done with that life, and Rorschach is just really, really pushing the issue. So he leaves, pondering the significance of Blake's murder and Manhattan's disgrace, and also wonders about the island the comedian told Jacoby about when he came to him drunk and crying. The scene changes to two cops questioning a grieving mother whose husband snapped and murdered his children before cutting his own throat. He was trying to spare his children the horrors of nuclear war. And it's the same cops from the beginning, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's the same two detectives. It's the only two in the city. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're very busy. The hardest working cops in New York. <laughs> At the newsstand, the vendor discusses the possible war with his customer while the young man reads Tales from the Black Freighter. Sorry, I think it's Tales of the Black Freighter. I can't ever get it straight. I think it's of. I think it is too. In the comic, the shipwrecked sailor constructs a raft using bloated corpses of his former shipmates to keep it afloat. He will stop at nothing to get home to his family in town, who he is convinced are at the mercy of the pirates. Where was that scene in Castaway? I feel like that would have improved the film. See, I wanted to see it on Mythbusters. Like, could you actually make a raft with dead bodies? <laughs> the Red Band trailer version of I'd love to see the, the requisition so form for that. that. I'm so down for that. So what do we need for this experiment? Well, <laughs> do you know anybody at the morgue? Time to go to the morgue. <laughs> Who has donated their bodies to science? Fair. I'll donate Fair. my body to that experiment specifically. Only that, though. Yes. Dan and Lori have lunch together. She tells him that the government has taken away her expense account and told her she has to find a new place to live. Dan offers to let her stay with him. And his excitement about that in some ways is almost palpable. Not in a creepy way, just that he is so, just obviously has these feelings for Lori and has had for so long that I think he's just thrilled at the idea of spending time with her. And I think also it feeds into his like want to be the good guy and the hero. Like yes. He gets to come yeah. in and rescue her. Also, uh, probably my favorite transition of a scene where it's uh, the guy from the Black Freighter, like, just going full feral hambone dinner on this, like, gull. And then it's Dan <laughs> eating a chicken wing. Yes. And it's yes. so, like, I, yes. I, I, like, saw that transition, like, like while in my reading, and I literally laughed out loud. Like, I was just like, that is so good. Rorschach wakes up wearing his mask. We see that he lives in a filthy apartment and his landlady is a harsh woman with unkempt children who reminds him of his mother. He goes out, no mask, but we aren't shown his true face, and sees Lori and Dan and wonders why they are out together. I do love how in his journal notes, he's like, on everything, must investigate further. Adrian Veidt discusses his day with an assistant, and they drift into conversation about the ancient Egyptian belief about death being a voyage, which Adrian finds comforting. A man appears and shoots the assistant, dead. Adrian then attacks him and wrestles him in the fountain. The gunman apparently has a poison capsule in his mouth, which Adrian tries to get, but the man swallows it and dies. The panels of them fighting, by the way, are in the exact center of the chapter. Yeah. So the middle panel of him swinging that gold cup thing is the, the center. Rorschach gets a message from Jacoby that he has information. Lori settles in at Dan's house and Dan goes to bed alone, conflicted in his feelings for Lori. Because he's a bitch. Yeah, I think in my notes I just said, all in caps, Dan got friend zoned so hard and then a lot of ha 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 frame when he's saying good, when she's saying good night to him. If you go back and look at a whole bunch of others, it's like that constant 
Oh. I was thinking the same thing. That was just kind of like, oh, oh, jeez, oh, oh. she loved me as much as I love. I don't her. buy him as a superhero. I, I I see him like in an alleyway with thugs going. You boys really shouldn't be out here, you <laughs> fellas. What are we doing? We go into the sock hop. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how your mother would feel about you? <laughs> what are we saying? That's his biggest flaw is that he's just lame. A turbo yeah. nerd. Yeah, <laughs> or Dan. Back at the newsstand, the news vendor and the kid battle the rain while the sailor in the comic battles a shark. Joey, a gay female cab driver, comes to buy a copy of Hustler and asks the vendor to put up a poster for a benefit show for gay women against rape, which spells guar, which is sort of funny to me. I kind of chuckle. Hell yeah. I know. I saw that was like... No, I think it's too early for the band. Like, damn. <laughs> I feel like they would be against that as well. Well, yeah. I would. God, I would hope so. <laughs> Do you think there's like an opposing group to that? I hope oh, not. That'd be terrible. It's, just, it's, it's Wait, like one of those. Like some counter protesters. Did, did this get towns. made before the group formed? I don't know. Hmm. Somebody look up Guar. When did Guar form? I know it was like in the 90s. Oh. I think. Hold on. Maybe they got inspiration from Watchmen. Hey, let's be Gore. It all goes back to Watchmen. 1984. Oh, that's like right around the... Yeah, that, they predate uh, the book. The two cops who investigated the murder-suicide earlier are in the station discussing recent events, and one feels that there is something more complicated afoot. He says he feels that it's all leading somewhere. They get a mysterious phone call telling them where to find Rorschach. Rorschach goes to Jacoby's house to discuss what he knows and finds Jacoby with a bullet in his head. As he investigates the scene, the police announce that they're outside and he has 30 seconds to come out. He searches the house for supplies, then waits for them to come inside. When they do, he fights them by setting a fire with matches and a can of hairspray and then shooting one of the cops in the chest with a grappling hook. The hairspray thing kind of confuses me, honestly, because I don't see Jacoby ever as having like fantastic hair. He's a magician, so not anymore for a magic trick. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he just has to lock down that solid. I was dude, gonna you know, say, like, just... how do you think he gets it to stay like that? Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's my true. boy, clean man. Is it possible it's like ant spray? No, it's, <laughs> no, it's hairspray it's for it's men. Oh, okay. oh, it's hairspray yeah. for oh, men. I see. Oh, yes. fight. fight! Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, oh. it's another uh, Ozymandias product. Man, he just oh, branched out. Didn't action he? figures. Perfume. He's all about that branding. And now hairspray. Maybe he thought he could have hair like Ozymandias. Yes. By maybe. using that product. Rorschach jumps out the window. My favorite I was, panel. That is what I wrote in here, whole. too. I said the best and most ridiculous panel in the entire book. <laughs> and out onto the street where he's apprehended immediately. The police comment on how much he stinks and the fact that he wears lifts in his shoes to give himself more height. They pull off his mask to reveal his true face, which is just a redheaded guy that no one recognizes. And it is the end is nigh guy. That we've seen multiple I times. Say, I recognized him. Well, yes. <laughs> Did anyone else want to do the Bill? Yeah, the yes. Bill Nye thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's been with us the whole time, popping up here and there. In the first chapter, he walked past the cop who was talking about Rorschach, and the cop had a weird feeling, which is kind of cool. Like when you're rereading it to go, oh yeah. Because when I first read it, I didn't really occur to me. I thought that he was just sort of a background character, like some, like the news vendor, like some of the other people that we see. It didn't occur to me that the the redheaded end is nigh guy was important in any way. I thought he was just scenery, basically. I the actually he kept popping up. I, I was like, he was... is he important? Why do we keep seeing him? When he was at the funeral, he triggered a, a sense to me yeah. that I couldn't figure out. I was going to say the same thing: is that like I had noticed him 
because they bother to, you know, have him say words and thus, you know, would make himself <laughs> know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, when he talks they to the news vendor at one point, he like, he's asking him about a, a paper. He's asking him about right. the, the new frontiersman. Well, yeah. yeah, my point being is that, like, by having him have dialogue, that draws attention to yes. him instead of just being some, like, background wordless person. The first time I read this, though, I didn't, I don't think I realized how closely I needed to read it. Do you like the way I word things, Bob? Background wordless person. You're a background <laughs> wordless person. That hurts. <laughs> you, know, oh. you know what you are to me? I'm Dan. <laughs> you're, not oh. even, you're not even an NPC oh. with lines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the chapter ends with the William Blake poem. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Fearful E Fearful Symmetry. What immortal um, hand, hand or, or E? e? Yeah. <laughs> hand or E. I feel like that reminds me of uh hip hop songs where there's like similar kinds of Yes. Like, it's like words. a half rhyme. Like, like they, they, they stretch it out and say it in a weird way that no one would ever make yeah. it to make it rhyme. If you look in the I think it's in the very beginning of the book, there's a thanks to Neil Gaiman. And I guess Neil Gaiman is one of the ones who helped find a lot of these quotes and how they would relate to the story. And they relate beautifully. They're perfect. Um, especially that one. The whole thing is just beautiful. But the quotes, a lot of them come from Neil Gaiman, which makes perfect sense when you know that. The interlude is all about our favorite person, the author of Tales of the Black Freighter. I kind of skimmed through this. <laughs> I, I had just read it, like, like right before we got here. I had just read this part, and I was like, you know, I never really read this one. Like, I didn't really fucking care about the Black Freighter. Yeah. So I read it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Some like, of it is kind of important, I think, too. Yeah. That was another thing when it kept popping up. I was like, okay, this is trying to tell me something about the story, so I need to pay attention to it. Otherwise, I'm going to miss something that I want to understand. Yeah. Thankfully, well, I have Zach to help me with that. <laughs> well, the first time I read it, I was just kind of like, what is this? You know, I thought it was more just like the immersive experience. Like, oh, well, this kid is reading this comic book, so we're kind of getting it through his eyes and the distracted quality of the other stuff going on, which is sort of true, but... Obviously, when you get to the end, you realize that it is sort of a parallel to what happens in this in the other story. So it's symmetry. Yes, oh, it's free real estate. So what do we learn here? In the world of Watchmen, superhero comics as we know them are not popular. Instead, the dominant comic subject is pirates. Tales of the Black Freighter is one such comic, drawn by a man named Joe Orlando and written by a man named Max Shea. It isn't. It was an anthology series that told horrific stories centered around a ship called the black freighter which sounds kind of awesome to me it sounds like a like a cool anthology almost like the twilight zone but about a scary pirate ship the stories were terrifying and almost too bar too dark for mainstream audiences max shea the missing author on the back of the magazine is uh one of the authors so it all kind of comes full circle and we learn that the author is important as well as the story itself Neat. Yeah, neat. They could have said that in fewer pages. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, they did a lot of retelling of, like, the story that we already read. Like yes. <laughs> See, I thought that was kind of helpful because there's so much going on and there's so many characters. So, I appreciated it, it retelling parts of the story when I was reading it because there are so many characters. And especially at the beginning, I was like, 
slightly overwhelmed about who did what and just all these different things. So in all these like little excerpts at the end, it was helpful to kind of be like, okay, this is who Hollis Mason is, or this is the writer of the Black Freighter or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was really helpful to me to keep everything straight and figure out what's going on. Yeah, Yeah. you almost need like a, like a little like chart like a family tree type thing i felt like i needed like a, a watchman poster of this is the night owl <laughs> <laughs> so character discussion what we learn in this chapter these characters edgar jacoby moloch sick dying terrified of rorschach terrified of refrigerators terrified of refrigerators also at this point you never know what you're and, gonna find in them and now dead right yeah yeah and he got he got kept really good uh, he wants to move on and forget about the past and who he used to be, um, and he's killed as a part of a trap to lure Rorschach into the house. So mission accomplished? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of tragic, but he was, I mean, he was dying of cancer. The whole thing is just awful. He was a pawn. Moloch is pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> uh, Rorschach, downright psychopathic at times. Uh, he has a twisted view of right and wrong and, and has demonstrated that repeatedly through this entire story. He thinks he thinks that he doesn't compromise and that his black and white worldview is somehow admirable, but he is completely irrational in a lot of his behavior. There are some glimpses in this chapter into his feelings about sex and women. The silhouette in the doorway, the graffiti of the silhouette in the doorway makes him very uncomfortable. And the landlady reminds him of his mother and he doesn't like that on the same page with both of those instances you're talking about i think it's really cool how it starts with the view of his dirty dishes and the one plate looks like his mask and then he shows his mask and then by the end of it he does the little rorschach test with the gunga diner oh yeah menu Mm. so the whole thing through there is just kind of inundated with his uh mixed emotions i like to think the illustrator had to do that and like dump some ketchup on a menu to see what it would look like because <laughs> it's a great job showing what it would look like flat yes. too <laughs> is the gunga diner supposed to replace cat's delicatessen in new york like is that what it's supposed to be i don't know i think it's just like a little play on words of this world well because there's this one i don't remember what chapter it is but there's this one shot where they're showing the front of it and that's like all i could think of was like all of the references to cat's delicatessen in like every movie about New York, yeah. it's like it looks just like that, but Maybe. it doesn't say it. That might be because at the beginning of this chapter, as he's walking through the puddles, there is the newspaper about the Russians invading Afghanistan, but on the other side of the puddle is the Gunga Diner menu laying there as well. So it's yeah. inundated all the way through there. It also sounds like a Star Wars themed one, like like, <laughs> yeah, a, like the a, Gunga Diner. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Mandalorian goes into the Gunga Diner and baby. Oh. Well, what is Gunga Din in reference to? Because that's a thing. There is a yeah. movie Star called... Star Wars? No, it's like... No, it's a real thing. <laughs> you just thing. aged yourself. It's right a real there. thing. Oh, my ire is up now. Oh, wow. It's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but what is it in reference to? Because it's like... It, it's about a specific place. Like maybe... Also a poem. Yes. Oh, goodness. Set in British India. Okay. Okay. So it's in it's an Indian diner. So they have like, like an elephant too, so. on there. Uh, there's like an elephant balloon in mm-hmm. one of the shots of the diner. That's like a to advertise. So it's I know it is like a play on words. Yeah. And the show actually, and this is not a spoiler, but the show has another a bakery that has a play on words called the Milk and Hanoi Vietnamese Bakery. Yes. So which is also I think like a nod to the Gunga Diner. We also finally see 
Rorschach's face in this chapter. And we learn that he is a short, red-headed guy um, that we've seen a few times with the end is nigh sign. Uh, he's not any kind of suave and debonair superhero type of a guy. He is... Uh, gross. He's a gross guy, for sure. He's he's gross and weird and short. Nothing is wrong with that. Is he short or is he average height and what? feels bad about it? Rorschach, I don't know. Rorschach is a short king. <laughs> Is he? Absolutely a short king, yes. We stand. <laughs> Not very high, though. Don't give me that look, Andrew. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a short guy. I'm just saying he's a short no. guy because they talk about him wearing, like, lift right. shoes. he's, like, 5'6", right? Oh, yeah, they do say it in one yeah, of the, the future things that he's, like, 5'6". Yeah, so he's, maybe like, 5'6". He, that maybe be, he's up to, like, 5'8". With, that could be part yeah. of his costume disguise, though, too. That's right. true. Like, we're looking yeah. for a guy that's 5'9", and he's like, ha-ha, I'm 5'8". <laughs> <laughs> I always find that funny, too. They're like, oh, he's 5'6". Well, this guy's obviously 5'8", so it can't be him, even though he fits every other description. <laughs> the news vendor in this chapter is very concerned about the state of the world and basically discusses it with every single person who comes up to the newsstand, inclu- and the young guy who is way more interested in the comic book. Just like all old people. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you about the world and what's happening. We're all going to die. The young you man first. is absorbed in the Tales from the Black Freighter and seems disinterested in most of the things happening around him, uh, like a lot of teenagers. Hangs out at the newsstand mainly because he can read the comic for free. Is that symbolic of us right now in the world we're living in right now? Totally absorbed by this comic book while well, my other brother tries to talk to me in the, the living room? Continue. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd rather read this than hear more about the coronavirus. I'm, yeah. Maybe I'm just I'm, keeping my head in the sand. I'm yeah. About that, yeah. I'm just going to, yeah, I full immersion here. In and this. now we've dated ourselves <laughs> for, future po- for future people. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, if there are any coronavirus. <laughs> There's a, a really good, like, I don't know if this is a spoilerly, spoilery thing or not, but the the last thing that the, the news vendor guy says before we switch over to it, uh, Vite, is kind of amazing because it, like, really is really symbolic where he's like, uh, what, it, it's our curse. We see every damn connection, every every damned link, and it's Adrian Vite, like, putting on his cufflinks. Oh. But it's also, like, kind of... Also, kind of the first, like, or another link in the chain of his, like, grand plan kind of coming in. It's, like, kind of the final, like, oh, well, now we gotta get rid of, rid of Rorschach. Like, here we or gotta eliminate me. That's kind of, like, the another link. No, that's that's yeah. good. That's well, and also his philosophy or his admiration of the Egyptian philosophy about death, how that could be comforting. Yeah, I feel like in that he, yeah, it's like a um, almost like rationalizing it to himself mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. And when he says that too, he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, the Egyptians, uh, you know, see their death, and then his assistant just fucking dies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just <Right>? immediately after, <laughs> just shoots her down. And I'm just like, well, all right, and cool. She's going on a journey. It's okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> going on that long journey. The worst boss ever. <laughs> Here, take this bullet for me. Dan Dryberg, Night Owl 2, awkward around Lori, desperate to connect with her and doesn't seem to know how to do that. Kind of tragic. And say it with me because he's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Poor Dan. Poor, sure. poor Dan. Sure. Uh, Lori, distracted by her life being in limbo, worried about her future and what she's doing with her life. Uh, she says at one point like that she's 35 and what have I actually done with my life, which is something that I can relate to on just a ridiculous level. 
Adrian Veidt, busy, brusque. He is discussing the Ozymandias action figures when the attempt on his life happens. He beats the attacker and seems to fail in preventing him from committing suicide by poison pill. Spoiler, you said seems to. Oh. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. He very much seems to prevent that. <laughs> <laughs> to attempt to prevent that. Yes, he attempts to prevent that. Uh, chapter five, I think, is kind of light on content and story, but uh, makes up for it in the look of it and the artistry of the symmetry. And moving the plot along. For sure. Does anybody else think that it's weird that this picture of Joe Orlando actually looks like a photograph where every other piece Mm -hmm. of something is clearly an illustration? I never noticed that, but now that you mention it, that's super weird. I wonder who that is. Right? It's probably like somebody's cousin or, you know. I wonder if it's like young Alan Moore or some shit. Because a lot of that kind of does mirror like Alan Moore's kind of retreat from society. Yeah. Just kind of like, yeah, I'm out. Bye. I'm going to go be a weird bearded wizard of England. Like, (laughs) often do literally nothing. I think that's his job. Yeah. (laughs) A weird bearded wizard of England. You ever see the movie Troll Hunter at all? Like, where like the guy, he like, it's really good. He works for his shadowy government organization and like hunts trolls. That's Alan Moore, but like Harry Potter creatures. <laughs> Just saying. So Joe Orlando is a real person, and that is him. Oh, um, oh. he's oh, an, an Italian American illustrator, writer, editor, and cartoonist during a lengthy career spanning six decades. He was the associate publisher of Mad and vice president of DC Comics. Yo. Um, wow, you just according knew that? to Wikipedia. <laughs> Gotta <laughs> cite my sources. <laughs> Wikipedia is not a real source. <laughs> no, that's cool, and it's also another thing that kind of ties this to the real world and makes it seem more like a real thing Mm -hmm. like you had talked about one of the previous chapters when you were talking about how some of these little pieces from their world these little details where they talk about books or movies or whatever make it seem like it's a real place and this is something that obviously is tied to the real world that could also make it seem more believable i think i agree easter egg yes there you go that's a good easter egg that's it for chapter five. That was a, a short chapter, really. It, it, um, one of the shortest. All it does is really kind of just like set up yeah. things. But it, it kind of, I feel yeah. like chapter, this chapter is more like a intro for the next chapter. Yeah. It, it's like the, the literal middle point. Yeah. You know, you just, okay, here you go. Like, here's where we're going to go from now. Yeah, it's Lincoln. It's all starting, it's all coming baby. together. I wish they could all see your face right now. <laughs> so excited always. So yeah, that's it for chapter five. We will be back next time with chapter six. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. everybody. <laughs>